Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. That is a Christmas song. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And so is that. Or more accurately, a Christmas carol. Somehow we've gotten used to hearing war and Christmas in the same sentence. But a Methodist minister who wrote a book all about the real Christmas, in point of fact our many Christmases, thinks there's a path to a peace treaty for all parties. Here is your Christmas gift from Bruce Forbes, who also heads the Philosophy and Religious Studies Department at Morningside College in Iowa, the real history of the commercial, cultural, and spiritual holiday that's given us both O Holy Night and Ho Ho Ho. Of all the years are met in thee tonight. In the introduction to your book, Christmas, A Candid History, you say, I love Christmas, and Christmas drives me crazy. Why is that? <laughs> I should say, whenever I speak to audiences, uh, everyone nods their ha- head immediately, so they all must have an immediate association. I mean, I'm thinking of, on one hand, it, for many of us, including me, it's favorite season of the year, uh, with everything from decorations to good spirit to family time and religious meanings, and yet... Uh, There's so many reasons that people get, well, not just people, me, I get frustrated. Uh, It's way too hectic. You almost have to recover from this holiday. And commercialization and all kinds of arguments these days. And now I'm nodding my head. (laughs) We all understand, don't we? How did we get to this point? Well, one of the biggest surprises for me as I studied the history of this is that if we're assuming that there was some pure spiritual holiday at the beginning and then things have complicated it more recently, um, that's a false narrative. There never was a pure spiritual holiday. The early Christians focused almost totally on the death and resurrection of Christ and the hope that he would come again immediately. We don't know exactly, but the earliest documents we have indicating that Christians we're celebrating the birth of Jesus on December 25th, come from the 300s. And we don't know exactly why they started it then, but there were three major midwinter parties going on in the Roman Empire at that time. Would that have been a very canny decision by whoever led the early Christian church to say, as long as people are celebrating, we're going to put ours in there and maybe it's going to squeeze out the other one? Yeah, I think that's one of the good guesses. There's another possibility. Maybe it's the total opposite. Maybe they thought that all that partying was much too wild, and if they kind of baptized it with Christian meaning, it it would get more under control. So we really have reverse-engineered Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we various traditions have then been added over time, and uh, I think our default assumption is the way we do it now is the way people have always done it, a lot of these traditions have come along along the way, and almost immediately they seem old. It's what some scholars call an invented tradition. So, so you say, well, we've done this forever, which really means for the last 30 years. So in the Western world, in the Christian Western world, uh, how was Christmas marked for 1,000, 1,500 years? It was mainly an adult activity. 
and it would be a midnight mass, which, by the way, is how we get the term Christmas. It really means Christ's Mass. Partying maybe in the neighborhood tavern or maybe in the home. That is a Christmas for a long, long time. The family-centered Christmas is really something that's fairly recent. We talk about the Victorian Christmas, so we're talking about the 1800s when that kind of Christmas we know now arose. There were people who were Christians and believers who thought it was terrible to celebrate Christmas. The poor Puritans have a bad reputation in terms of being kind of uh, killjoys and not wanting anyone to be happy. I think that's not fair. Puritanism starts in England when the Church of England breaks off from the Catholic Church. Um, it still remain, retains many uh, Catholic features, and Puritans were Calvinists who felt, now that we've done these changes, we should get rid of a lot of those other things that are Catholic additions and it's not really Christian. And uh, with the Puritan Revolution in England, they even had sometimes had town criers going around on Christmas Eve saying, no Christmas, no Christmas. And that carried over into the United States with almost all of the English-speaking denominations you know, from England who were not Church of England. I will tell you, lots of big things, lots of little things. You can call this anything you want. But if I become president, we're all going to be saying Merry Christmas again. That I can tell you. That I can tell you. You probably by now roll your eyes when you hear the phrase, the war on Christmas. Yes, I do. <laughs> so first of all, it's because I think a lot of it is built on this assumption that everyone always celebrated Christmas. And somebody recently, whoever it is you don't like, it's there to blame because they've wrecked it. And I just don't think that's the case. And the idea even that alternate phrases like uh, happy holidays or season's greetings, I mean, those are not new phrases. Those we can trace back a long, long way. The problem with the war on Christmas in addition is that, yes, it's true that we are more and more aware that we're a diverse nation and that everyone doesn't celebrate Christmas. But I just think we build too much into the precise words that people use. I mean, like I keep saying to folks, listen, I send out uh, Christmas cards and they often say season's greetings because I'm always late. <laughs> and I want, I want to cover the holidays, you know? It's between Christmas and New Year's, so I'm not late. It's a season's greetings card. It's not because I'm anti-Christian. There are so many reasons uh, that people celebrate this holiday in different ways, and I, it's... Ironic. No, it's tragic, I was going to say ironic, that it's become an occasion for people to be angry at each other. Take us further into Christmas as a cultural holiday. In the 1800s, in England and in America, people all seemed to join together and get on the Christmas train, you might say. And it was for s several reasons. One is the popularity of Dickens' Christmas Carol. The second was Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Who, who Prince Albert example. brought the Christmas tree over from Germany. Right. It's a German tradition. He brings it into England, then it comes to America. So the Victorian example and uh, Dickens and Christmas Carol, and then on top of that, a long and interesting story of how St. Nicholas in the United States, through about six stages, morphs into Santa Claus. All of those help create what I would call a cultural Christmas. But I think the, the decisive turn was there in the 19th century, where it became this family, a cultural family-centered Christmas, which could or 
did not necessarily have to have religion. I mean, big surprise. Think about the Christmas carol. Does that tell you the story of Jesus in a manger? I mean, there's very little religion there. What it does become is a holiday that's about family and about generosity. And I think Christians can embrace that fully, but non-Christians or people who are just kind of on the edge. In the 20th century, Coca-Cola, Bing Crosby, and maybe to some extent FDR changed a lot about Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, all of those. Yeah, right. Some people say, oh, Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus, which is not really true. There are six stages, and gradually St. Nicholas changes from a bishop to a jolly person who gives presents. And Coca-Cola is kind of the last in those stages where, because of their advertising for almost 30 years, we have this image of Santa Claus that is now kind of frozen in our heads. Of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Bing Crosby, of course, it, we're, what we're talking about is White Christmas, uh, which is, of course, a song written by uh, a Jewish person, Irving Berlin, uh, but it's also part of that cultural celebration of the holiday. What FDR did is change the date of Thanksgiving because the tradition prior to him is that Thanksgiving would happen on the last Thursday of November. His first year in office, the last day of November, was the last Thursday, which meant the Christmas shopping season, which by that time was already starting right after Thanksgiving, was going to be shortened. So business interests came to FDR and said, please, could you move Thanksgiving uh, earlier, one week earlier, so we could have a longer Christmas shopping season? He said no, but a few years later, the same thing happened again, and then he did move it forward. And so, so eventually, after a few years, Congress stepped in, and they decided that Thanksgiving would be the fourth Thursday, not the last Thursday, which is kind of a compromise. Just this yeah. season, there is a black Santa at the Mall of America. And mm-hmm. some people are going crazy at that, saying Santa mm-hmm. should be white. If he starts as St. Nicholas, and St. Nicholas that starts to morph into Santa, the early Santas were everything under the sun. In fact, you know, the, the famous poem, The Night Before Christmas, that poem does not describe the Santa that you and I picture now. Now, this doesn't deal with the issue of race, but it's everything else. Do you know, do you know that in that poem, he's an elf? the first time that poem was ever published with an illustration. It's it's the strangest little character I call him. He looks like a scruffy leprechaun. <laughs> and he looks nothing like the Coca-Cola Santa. So, you know, to say Santa Claus is white or black or whatever, he's, he's not necessarily full-sized. In other cases, he was tall and thin. He was all kinds of different colors. So, uh, uh, what's the standard where I say, okay, Santa Claus should be this? How would you come up with a solution to this, since so many people seem to be obsessed with and create in their own minds the problem of Christmas? I guess I just wish that we'd all relax and say, if we understood the early roots of winter holidays, we all need something pleasant to help us, especially if you live in areas where I do, where we really have winter. Uh, to help us cope with winter. You know? So 
let's enjoy the lights and enjoy the decorations. And if there are religious meanings there, as there are for me, to enjoy those, but why make it a contest or make sure that someone's attacking me? It seems to me this is the time that almost everyone wants it to be a time of good spirit and generosity, and it's something that we could all embrace. I think, in addition, it's a problem for many of us in that it seems out of control. You can't say you come out of this period of time refreshed and renewed. Most of us are exhausted, and we need to recover from the holiday. So I think the second problem, which maybe we should discuss as much, is how could it be more refreshing and more meaningful? And my quick answer to that is when the season approaches, we shouldn't go on autopilot and just say, okay, here it is, now I've got to do all these things. We should make choices. Way before Thanksgiving, if if this is a family venture, why didn't the family sit down and make a list of all the things they do for Christmas and say, which of these things do we really like and we find fulfilling and which ones don't we and they're a hassle? The family decides beforehand instead of just going on autopilot as you enter the season. Is there a particular Christmas song that you can't abide, that you switch off the radio when you hear it, and a particular Christmas movie you just think is out of bounds? <laughs> you know, I don't have a hate list on this. Uh, some I like more than others. I'm not sure any, any drive me crazy. I mean, I can tell you a favorite movie, and interestingly, even though I'm a minister, it's not necessarily a... Christian one, Miracle on 34th Street. Oh. The black and white version. I love it. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Well, Professor Bruce Forbes, it's been a pleasure, and I guess I can say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Season's Greetings to you. The same to you. troubles will be out of Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The music is Eartha Kitt singing Santa Baby for RCA Victor and Nat King Cole performing O Little Town of Bethlehem on the Capitol Records label. Bing Crosby croons White Christmas in 1942 on the DECA label. And that's Judy Garland singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas in the 1944 MGM movie Meet Me in St. Louis. You have yourselves a merry little Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate. I am Pat Morrison. And as in olden days, happy golden days of your faithful friends who were near to us will be dear to us.